I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. So overall, did you enjoy on the CPAC? You know, I I really didn't look at uh, much of it. I saw bits and pieces of of the uh, CPAC event, Gary. They have it every year. It's uh, where conservatives, obviously mostly Republicans, would gather. This year they had it down in Florida. Many of the members of the House and the Senate were there, but many notable folks were not there. Like my good friend, Senator Tim Scott, was not there. And and there were a number of other folks that did not uh, appear. Vice President Pence was not there. Uh, and that's not a negative. That's just, you know, sometimes you have, you know, scheduling conflicts and it, it's done every year so you can attend next year. I did not know of this when I was in office. I'm not sure if, if CPAC held the event back when I was in office and during the 90s. But um, this year, it was more or less a meeting in which people were talking about not being canceled by the media, as far as the social media platforms would be concerned, and a referendum, not a referendum, but a, an assessment of what President Biden has done thus far and how he has um, taken us in a direction that many people had thought he would, and he's doing what he said he would as far as uh, approaching fossil fuels the way that he is and you know, opening up the borders to people from uh, south of the border. And, and many of the principles that I believe are very popular, Republic, but not only Republicans, but the nation, I think most of the country would feel that people should come here legally and not uh, just barge their door down as though there was a fire in their country that they're trying to escape from. No, they're just trying to come here for opportunities, not technically qualify for asylum in, in our country. You can come here because of those reasons, but you have to get in line. You have to get in line, just like everybody else, just like the people from Africa are trying to come to the United States. But they, because there's an ocean between the United States and Africa, they have to get in line. They can't just barge their way through. And so that goes for the people from Europe as well. They can't just barge their way through. But if you're south of the border, you can just barge your way through. And it's just from every perspective, it's wrong. It's just so wrong. Believe me, the people in south of the border are not the only people who are looking for greater economic opportunity. They're not. There are people all over the world looking for greater economic opportunity. And we're here for that. We want their talent. We want their, their presence, but we want them to get in legally. We want them to buy a ticket to the movie theater. We do not want them to come, come through the side door. That's illegal. And for black people, that's a very strong term because we, as I said last week, we get caught jaywalking. It may be the last time we jaywalk. So why can these people just walk right in and go through the side door or just be allowed to come in without going through the proper process? Process is so wrong. And so they talked about that. Yeah? They talked about that at, at CPAC. Then, of course, they uh, talked about the wild spending of the Democrats. So it was basically a checklist of what President Biden has done or has not done thus far. Also, you had the feature speaker, which was um, Donald Trump, who so spoke. And once again, I don't know why people were surprised or upset or whatever that he said basically the same thing he's been saying from for weeks and months. What do we expect? You know, that's just not. <laughs> and 
the Republican Party is not going to be divided because of one person, and they're not going to be uh, frustrated over one person. We're we're much, 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 much bigger than that. And four years from now, to be talking about what's going to happen in four years, you know, what the hell are they talking about? Who cares? Let's first deal with the election of 2022. And I was happy that the president sounded as though, former President Trump, that he wanted to be with the Republican Party and work hard to get Republicans elected in 2022. And that's what it's about. Democrats would have loved if Trump had come out and said, I'm going to start my own party, because they would have known that it would have been impossible for the Republican Party to win if you have one Democrat party and two Republican party. It just doesn't add up. The Republican Party vote would be split, and the Democrats would win every single time. Gary, now we started to talk about special interest groups in a prior show, and it's a very important aspect of national politics. I did not realize how important until probably maybe two or three months before my election in 1990. Because once they deem you as being a serious candidate, then all of a sudden, it's like they're like vultures. They start flying around and and then they come in and they zoom in on you. So why do they do that? Well, the main reason why they do that, Gary, is because the the special interest groups that are in your city, in your state, and in Washington, D.C., they are most concerned with who is going to be the Speaker of the House, which party will control Congress, which party will have the chairman of various committees. That's all they consider. That's all they're worried about. They can care less about your name. They can care less about you. All they care about, are you an R? Okay, I want a Republican speaker and I want John Doe to be chairman of the Appropriations Committee or the Armed Services Committee or the Ways and Means Committee or the Energy and Commerce Committee. That's all they're concerned with. They're not really concerned about you. <laughs> they really, you are a number. You're a number for them to get to 218. That's all they're concerned with. And they get their guidance, Gary, from the party leadership. So the party leadership of the Republican Party in Congress would say, hey, these are our 15 or 20 or 30 races or 50 races that we must win. We must win most of these 40 races. And they tell their special interest groups about these 40 candidates. And I had to go down to Washington and give speeches down there to to the various national organizations to be able to get their endorsement and their support. It's absolutely critical. And it's just like the Yankees playing the Dodgers, Gary. If you're a Yankee, you are not going to make yourself loved by the Dodgers. It's just not possible. And if you're a Dodger, you will always hate the Yankees. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. There's two distinct sides. They have two distinct agendas. Their agendas would be they want their person in that speaker's chair. They want their person from their party that they are supporting in that chairman's position. Because once you have control of the chairman's positions and the speaker's position, Gary, it's so important because you determine what happens in Congress. You determine the agenda. So, for example, if you are for everyone having toothpicks in their benefit package for health care or whatever, you can get that done. You can put that on the floor to have a vote because you have the majority of the members in the House of Representatives in your party and you would have that as an agenda item, having more toothpicks being given out 
to individuals per their healthcare benefits. If you are not really for the toothpick industry, then you are not gonna have a vote on toothpicks being in every healthcare package because you can care less. And so thus the people who are part of the toothpick industry are bonding together with other like industries with a singular goal of getting a person from their party, that their party preference elected to the speaker's chair, which would mean that they got to get 218 members of Congress of the one party. And so they band together. Sometimes, for example, the plumbers union would work with the healthcare union. Now you say, why in the world is the plumbers working with the healthcare union? Because they have interests that are very different, but none of their interests would come up unless they control the speaker's chair, unless they control the chairman's positions. So that is why it starts early. Once they determine that you are a serious candidate that you can potentially win, then they start to zero in on helping you win that election so that, in my case, a Republican could become Speaker of the House and Republicans could be chairman of committees so that issues that would be germane or important to your side, your Yankees, would get a chance to be voted on. And that's why it is absolutely, absolutely so, so critical to the special interest groups. And they're pretty well divided. Special interest group, you, you probably can find out on doing research on Google, really kind of started with farmers and, and, and industry. So one became turned into the unions, the other became what's known as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and that's the business side. And they are very much uh, tied to uh, their respective parties. The unions are 99.9% Democrat. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is mostly Republican, but they do support Democrats. I unfortunately cannot say that any union, I had a couple, but very, 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 very few unions support any Republican. When I say any, I mean any, any. The only time that there was a change for me was because of Richard Nixon. And Richard Nixon had Jimmy Hoffa as a friend and the Teamsters seemed to be willing to support certain Republican candidates. And I think in one of my races, I had support from the Teamsters. But for the most part, no. And that's because of the Democrats went after Jimmy Hoffa and the Kennedys, et cetera. But no, usually it's very cut and dry that one side would get the support of business and one side would get the support of the unions. Now, the problem is in many instances on the union side, they take out dues from their members and the dues would go to fight against, in most instances, Republicans, as I stated before, 99.9999% go, go against Republicans. And so, as I mentioned before, your, your grandmother was very upset that her union dues were going to defeat her son. <laughs> but she couldn't do anything about it other than complain. And they say, yep, we're taking your dues out. Yep, we're going against your son. <laughs> so it made no sense whatsoever. And Republicans have fought legislatively. They fought in the Supreme Court and various courts to not have it so that the unions can forcibly take your money if you are a member and use it for those purposes. But unfortunately, um, the unions have prevailed. Now, when you have special interest groups, Gary, they're, they're very, very good at promoting their interests. And unfortunately, sometimes that would mean that they, they don't look at the entire picture that well. 
And as I talked about before, I think in the prior show, we you had the Air Traffic Controllers Union, and they were adamant about their position, and Ronald Reagan had to terminate them all. And you have right now about the teachers' union and the return of kids in the classroom. And once again, it, even though the science says it's fine to do, to have the teachers go back in some, certain cities, they're just not allowing that to take place. So how do they work with the members of Congress? Well, they first want to take your temperature, so to speak, Gary. So they give you a questionnaire. <laughs> they, give you, they give you a questionnaire. This is not a local level. You get a questionnaire, and it's from the national folks. And you fill out this questionnaire. They ask you your position on various issues, and they would make their assessment that way, depending on how you would, what boxes you would check off. And for the most part, let's deal with the realtors. The realtors were one in which came to my assistance rather early, but they sometimes would support Democrats. And some of the businesses do support Democrats and Republicans. And the, and the realtors, they came to my support. And I had to, once again, go through the questionnaire part. And then once they give you a grade on that, you get bumped up to the state folks. And, and then the state folks give you some questions and, and review your background. And then they submit their recommendation for support to the national folks. Now, what does that mean if you get their support? Usually it means a check for the maximum amount of money that a political action committee can give, which in, during my day, it was 5000 for the primary, 5000 for the general election. And then it would also mean that you would have the support of the rank and file members of the realtors who may put up yard signs in your behalf, which would be very, in many instances, um, pivotal for people to be able to see in certain sections of a town how strong your support would be from, from people. They don't know they're all realtors. They don't know they're all from this organization or that organization. They All they see is the yard signs up, and it does show your strength. And in some instances, Gary, the AMA, the, the American Medical Association, they actually ran TV commercials in my behalf. And so they're, they're free to do that. Special interest groups can do that. Now, the flip side of that coin would be there are major unions in the country that ran commercials against me during my third re-election and my fourth attempt for office. And that, you know, they, they could spend a sizable amount, unlimited amount of money running commercials against candidates. What happens, Gary, is they target a certain number, and not all 435, but they target, once again, maybe that 30 or 40 that are pivotal to making one party in control of Congress and the other party in the minority. So they target those, those few individuals and they spend what's necessary to make sure that they get the Speaker of the House that they want, thus they get the chairman of, of various committees that they want, that being the special interest groups. Now, Gary, I have two pet peeves. I want to move on from the special interest groups. We may revisit that at, at another time. My two pet peeves that I have, Gary, have to do with term limits and the experience of the new members of Congress. And let's deal with the experience of Congress over the last maybe four to six years. So those two topics are, I think, very important today, Gary, because you have too many members of Congress who uh, who really have no relevant prior experience other than just putting their name on the ballot this time and getting elected. And once again, if you feel as though it doesn't make sense to have a novice operate on your head, why would you want to have a choice of voting for people for office that can determine potentially war and peace 
or the death of hundreds of thousands of people. Experience does matter. And I know when I was in office, you know, I can't think of, well, I'm sure there were, and many members, I say, I'll, I'll put a phrase in this way. I can't think of many members. I can't think of, you know, trying to, I'm struggling to think of anybody who really had no relevant political type of background where they've didn't serve somewhere as a city councilman or as a state rep or state senator or some other elected position. So they'll know how everything works. I mean, it's not it's that easy of a profession. You think politicians are, you know, no, I think we, We've kind of have noted that. We should note that. I think that it'll be a long time before the United States picks a president who had no prior elected experience. I don't think that's going to happen for, I don't think I'll ever see it in my lifetime again. So I think that there's something to be said about electing members of Congress who literally have no prior experience because the learning curve is steep and they take positions and they do things that are just so ridiculous that you know, you, you have to scratch your head and say, well, you know, why are they doing this? And yet, if they're the loudest voice in the room, you know, sometimes people follow the loud, loudest voice in the room. That can be very un unfortunate. So uh, I think we should be looking more, and the people, this is a people's question, the people should be looking and assessing candidates as to what they have done that's relevant to being a member of Congress. And if they don't have anything in their portfolio that would show relevancy to the position that they're seeking. Just like if you're interviewing for a position at Amazon or IBM or, or Microsoft, you should not get the position. So we have to be smart. We can't get wrapped up in the charisma of the person or the charm of the person. We have to recognize that if you don't have the experience to do a job, you're going to have to learn on the job. And that is not something that the United States government with over 300 million people can afford to have happen on a regular basis. And then when you have a bunch of people like that in the office who don't understand that if you don't, don't get to 218, ain't nothing gonna happen. I don't care how great of an idea you may think you have. If you don't work with others and try to position your proposals in a way in which there's some wiggle room for compromise, you are going to have a disaster, okay? And that, and that is what I see some of these members it doesn't have anything to do with their intelligence because I think they're bright people, very capable people. But there's something to be said about experience. And I know that having gone into uh, you know, a medical procedure in the past, I was very happy about the experience my, my doctor had. And that is how we should feel about our government leaders because it's, it's very important to us. And, and we don't even know what we don't know. In other words, the things that we're not benefiting from we don't even know that we we're not benefiting from them, you know. So that's the that's the the weird the weird part. So that's why it's a, it's very important to think about how we're evaluating people before actually voting for them. Then on the flip side of the coin, if you're there for for too many years, and I don't know what the arbitrary date should be, maybe twenty four years in Congress, we could be split House Senate any way you want, and that's a normal reasonable career path. You know, if we asked we asked our military people to give twenty years, and they for the most part, uh, most of them or many of them retire. You know, it's till 24. Why not 24? That's four terms in the Senate. If you get elected straight from the Senate from being a state official in your particular state. So that's a good period of time. Or if you get elected six times in the House and two times in the Senate, 
that's still, that's a good period of time for you to hopefully make a difference in the country. And that's what it's about. It's not, it's very hard to beat an incumbent. And the longer you stay there, it's even more difficult. One of the reasons why people recognize that fact and, and having a constitutional amendment to limit the president's terms is because of that fact. It's just very hard to beat an incumbent. Very few people want to contribute dollars against a person who is the incumbent in a powerful position because of, you know, I don't hate to say this, retribution. So you're not going to do that. So thus, an incumbent can squash your ability to raise funds, which will squash your, your ability to actually wage a competitive campaign. So thus, the incumbent always wins. So are they better than, than everyone? No, it's just that the incumbent will not allow your voice to be heard because they are going to spend 10 times, 20 times as much money in the airwaves than you. And when people hear one voice 20 times and another voice once, who do they deem as being more powerful? The person who they hear 20 times. Which message really sinks in? The one that they heard 20 times, not the one they heard once. So it's rigged in a sense. If by people who are there for a long period of time, they actually are helping themselves be there even longer. Who does that benefit? Only the people who are there a long period of time. Does not benefit you, doesn't benefit me, doesn't benefit America, doesn't benefit society. We need to turn over our talent. And 24 years seems like a reasonable period of time to get your agenda and your ideas pushed through Congress in some shape, form, or fashion. And then allow others to come and try to make a difference in helping guide our country. Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University, will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. I have a question about a special interest group. In what a scenario where a special interest group would take the Democrat side? Well, for the most part, Gary, you have the labor unions, anything that has to do with raising the minimum wage, that's an automatic give me for the unions. The unions, there's no other issue the unions love more than raising the minimum wage. No other issue. And there's no other issue. No, I shouldn't say this, but there are a number of issues that the Chamber of Commerce may be against, so to speak. But that one's at the top of their list of being against, because they feel that if you have to raise the price of pay for the workers, in order to make a profit in many instances, or as large a profit as one had been accustomed to, you're going to have to raise the cost of the product. One side is very much for and be pushing really hard for the raising of the minimum wage for the unions, because they feel that that would be helpful to their base. But it's not really true, because the bottom line of it is, Union contracts are contracts. That's exactly what they are. And people negotiate those contracts and the rates are what they are because they were negotiated. 
But when you don't have a union shop, then wages can be raised at, at any time. And many people from the Chamber of Commerce's pers- perspective would say, you're going to have to increase the cost of the product or the service if you raise the minimum wage. Also, you have folks out there who would say that when you raise the minimum wage, you are going to potentially cause inflation to raise its ugly head. Because if there's more money out there to be spent, it can affect the balance of how expensive products would be. For example, if a person has a $15 an hour rate, that $30,000 salary could create a situation where they're going to raise the price of the product because they have to pay that you know, $15 an hour rate. And thus, prices are going to go up. And when prices start going up from $10 to $12 or $13, that causes inflation. That's the definition of inflation when, when the price goes up for on products and services. And when you start to deal with inflation, it makes the value of the dollar go down. For example, that product is still only worth $10, but because of the price that you have to charge in order to make a profit, it's now $12 and it causes everyone else to charge more money, even in unrelated industries to charge more money so that they can pay $12 for that service or product. Do you you understand that concept, Gary? Hopefully I'm explaining it properly. Yeah, Yeah. I do. So that's why when you start to heat up the economy, it can overheat, so to speak. So people from the chamber and most Republicans would feel that let the free market determine the price range or the salary range for the minimum workers out there. And then there's an argument for people who are getting into entry-level jobs, such as working at McDonald's, where you're just you're basically flipping hamburgers. Those are, for the most part, retirees and or high school students. They're not raising a family on their wages, so you, you should be able to pay them a little less than you would a person who would be uh, in a position that would not be a journeyman's type position or a trainee or true, true, true entry-level type of position. And if you raise it to $15 an hour, you're going to eliminate a lot of the high school kids from being able to work at McDonald's or Burger King or or places of that nature, which are usually good starting grounds for people who are in high school. So there are a lot of arguments on both sides of, of the coin on the issue, but it's one in which the lines are clearly drawn. The unions, they don't care what their argument you may have. They want to raise the minimum wage, and business will give you the arguments I gave as reasons why you should allow the free marketplace to determine people's salaries. And if you're not paying people enough, guess what they're going to do? They're going to leave. They're going to go to another company, and all of a sudden, you're going to say, wait a minute, this restaurant chain is paying this amount of money, and I'm losing all my people to these folks. I better raise my rates, my salaries to at least that level so I stop losing people. And that's what the marketplace would would do. So that's the philosophy or the approach that that the Chamber of Commerce and their related members would believe. Don't forget to subscribe.